The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au Well, good evening again. No, really, good evening. Take your Bibles, please, and uh, we're going to go to the book of Colossians. Colossians and chapter 3. We've been uh, working through a bit of a series on what it is we as a church believe. And we looked last week at justification. And similar to the subject of justification is sanctification, and similar in the fact that they're connected theologically, but beyond that, they're both such huge topics that it's really very difficult to uh, cover them all in one go. And and even as last week, uh, we left some bits out, and the conversation at the end filled in a few blanks. We'll probably leave some things out that we should say tonight, but we'll do the best we can to cover what we've got in the the three and a half hours that we're all going to be here. So here we go. Joke. Colossians 3, we're going to read uh, from verse number 1, and we're going to read all the way down to chapter 4 and verse 5, actually verse 6. And then we're going to just use that as a base. I'm more of an expositional preacher. I like to take a text and work my way through it, but these are topical messages. But we will come back and touch on this, and then we're going to dive into the topic of sanctification. So let's read together. The Word of God says in Colossians 3, beginning at verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, 
do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Try again. Verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And we trust that God will add blessing to the reading of his word. Let's just ask for his help again. Loving Father, this evening as we come again with the Word of God open before us, Father, we pray again that the Spirit of God would teach us and lead us into all truth. Father, we ask You for Your help and we give You thanks again, O God, for our time together around the Word in fellowship and in worship together. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. What is sanctification? What does it mean? It's a big, long shun word, all the different shun words in the Bible and the New Testament about this Christian life. Well, sanctification can be described like this. It's a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. That was written by a guy named uh, Grudem. Uh, justification, Justification and sanctification, they're connected, but they're very much different. So, If you think of it this way, justification was a momentary thing, and sanctification is a drawn-out, long process, a a process thing. So justification is a legal standing before God. So it's kind of like the man who gets charged with a crime, and he goes before the courts, and all the evidence is presented, and the judge says, he's declared right in my sight, and from that moment, he is set free. The bailiff comes in and undoes the handcuffs. They take off his prison clothing. They give him back his ordinary street clothing. And he now begins to go out again and live his life. But his life now is lived as a free man, no longer as the charged, the accused, the condemned, if you like, in prison. He's living his life free. So the the judgment happens in a moment, but the life that flows out of it goes on uh, throughout his rest of his life. So justification is a legal standing before God. He declares us just or righteous in his sight. And the reason he does that is because he takes all of the righteousness of Christ and he implies it, uh, imputes it towards our account. Sanctification, on the other hand, is an internal condition. It's a continuous throughout life thing. It's a work of God in which we cooperate with God And it will never be perfect in this life. 
And sanctification in some is greater than in others. So the reason why we have discipleship, like we have elders and we have deacons and we have members of a church and we have brand new believers and we have those who are just coming to faith in Christ, that whole process, different ones are at different stages. Now you spend time with guys like Uncle Jack who taught me how to study back in Canada. He was a godly man. He had been walking with the Lord by the time I knew him for that part of 40 years. I'd only been walking with the Lord for a few when I first met him, and he knew things. He knew more about God than I think I'll ever know. He had just been walking so much further with the Lord. The process of sanctification, of being made like Christ, was further along in his life than it was in my life. I came across an interesting little phrase or a little triplet uh, written by some smart guy, a lot smarter than me, and he talked about the blessings of salvation in relation to sin. And he said, you can think of it like this. Justification is being saved from the guilt of sin. God declares us righteous and the guilt of sin is done away with. It's a past completed thing. Sanctification is is being saved from the power of sin in our lives. So the more we walk with Christ, the more we become like Christ, the power of sin over us to influence and sway us is steadily decreasing and lessening all through our lives. And glorification, the end of the whole process, which we're looking forward to when we meet Christ face to face and that work is finished in a moment, is when we are saved from the presence of sin. So justification saves from the guilt of sin, sanctification saves from the power of sin, that's a long drawn out thing, and glorification saves us from the presence of sin. It's completely put away, there's nothing left in that moment, and we are like Christ, we're glorified, and no longer will we sin. Long, may that day come sooner. The older I get, the more I walk with the Lord, the more I want that day to come now. Right? We all want it, but it'll come in a time uh, when the Lord is ready. So what we believe about our sanctification, I'll give you three, three points. Uh, all good sermons apparently have three points, although half of mine have four, so you can, I'll leave that to you to decide. Um, we have three points. Number one, the start, the process, and the finish. How it starts, how it processes, and how it finishes. Number two, the two roles in sanctification. There's God's role and there's our role, how we respond to God. And then I want to give us at the end, I don't want this to be a dry theology lecture. That's not the point of this. The point of this is to inspire and motivate and move us all to do our part, to work in cooperation with God that we may become more like Jesus. I don't think there's anything in, in this world that we ought as Christians to want more than that, as to be like the Lord Jesus. I don't think there's nothing else in my life And you know what? If there's something else that comes up in my life and I want to be more like that person or be more like that way, there's a problem. We ought, all of us as believers in Christ, to desire greatly to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's dive into it. How does uh, sanctification start? It starts and it begins the moment we are born again. The Bible says in Titus 3, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but in agreement with His own mercy by the washing of regeneration or by the washing of being born again 
and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So in that verse, uh, Paul is saying the Holy Spirit starts that work in us. He makes us alive. That's what regeneration means. And he begins that whole process of renewal. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Something got to get a head around a little bit in this. Hey, George, can you turn me down a bit? I can hear my own. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually making myself deaf for a change. There we go. <laughs> um, something got to get in the back of our heads is we are both positionally sanctified and we are both in the process of sanctification. You say, how is that possible? How much of time can you see in a moment? Well, you can see everything that happened before, right? I can look back in my mind, I can see myself sitting at my desk studying and my phone going off, and, and you can see yourself at home having a nap this afternoon, but not one of us can see anything beyond this moment. God, on the other hand, can see all of time laid out. So he sees, imagine this, he can see everything that's going to happen in your life and all the crisscrosses of people you're going to meet and talk to and all the cause and effect but not just in your life, but in your wife's life and in your kids' lives and in your friends' lives and everybody else's life across the whole planet. So when God looks at you, He sees the work of sanctification, which is a process for us living in time and space. He sees it. It's a process like this for us. He sees it as all done and finished. right? And he sees the whole work done. So we're positionally sanctified in that sense, but we're in the process of being sanctified as we go through this life. So being born again is the moment. I was trying to describe to someone today the gospel and how it works. And I said, imagine you're on a long road. And at the one end, there is a place called destruction. And at the other end, there's a place called life. And everybody is born and they're walking straight down that road towards destruction. And repentance is that moment when we realize that we're going the wrong way and we turn around completely and we go back the other way. We head back towards the place called life. Now that's a simple explanation of it. Not, there's some flaws in that, but that basically gets the idea. So the moment we're born again is that moment we turn around and we go off the wide and broad road that Jesus described the destruction and we go back and we walk towards the narrow road on the narrow road that leads to life. And the moment we start walking back that way, Things need to change. Because you know what the Bible says? If any man is in Christ, he is what? New creation, right? You're brand new. Everything has been changed. The Bible says the old's gone, the new has come. So the moment we start that change, we're changed on the inside like that. But that transforming change has to work, if you, way, if you like, from the heart, right inside. And it has to work its way all the way out through your life. And God is slowly in the process of changing you, putting off that old sin and putting on Christ and making us more like the Lord Jesus. So it begins at the moment of sanctification. Uh, having been born again, we have a new mindset. In fact, Paul says in Colossians 3 there, verses 1 and 2, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above. There's a whole new mindset. There's a whole new way of thinking that's part of how God works to change us and sanctify us. So it starts that way. Sanctification begins the moment we're born again, and it increases all the way through life. 
2 Corinthians 3.18 gives a bit of idea of how it happens. Paul says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're being transformed. We're being changed. Or if I can say it this way, we are being sanctified, set apart by God, and made into the image of Christ. You ever watch, get in the train and you see this teenage... Oh, I'm going to get busted for being critical. See a teenage thing walk on the train, right? And he's got piercings in here and hair down here and he's got, you know, his, his face is painted white and got black and, and you're like, what happened, dude? I mean, did you run into a paint factory and the thing blow up or something? And you, you kind of go, what's going on? And then he pulls out, he takes off his jacket and he's got this t-shirt and he's got all this weird stuff on it. And then you see the name of some band on his t-shirt and the lead singer lo and behold, looks a lot like the kid in the t-shirt. You see, that what's happening is that kid in that, in that, with his music and his long hair, and I don't mean to be critical, I really don't. Actually, I feel sorry for them, and we should, because they have done exactly what we are supposed to do, and he's doing it better than we are. Why? He is worshiping that band, and he's becoming just like the thing he's worshiping. He's making himself up. He's acting like he's even got the whole downer thing as he's walking along and, and he's acting all depressed and he's like under some great big burden or something. I don't know. It's bizarre watching. But in reality, that's exactly what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 8, 3.18. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed. So if we're focusing on and our minds are set on Christ, we will be steadily changed into that person we worship. He's doing it better than we are. But that's what we're supposed to be doing. And that process is to go through all of life. It starts the moment we're born again and it keeps on going. Brothers and sisters, it's a good thing to stop every once in a while and look in the mirror of God's Word and say, how have I changed in the last year of my walking with the Lord. Because if you can't identify some changes in your life, there is a problem. Uh, a little baby is born, and it starts to grow, and then it stops growing. And they go to the doctor, and the doctor says he, he was at the 100 percentile. My kids were all like the 150 percentile for growth and everything when they were little. And they come back and they say, you know, he was 150 percentile last year. Now he's only 100 percentile. Come back six months later and they say, oh, now he's only the 50th percentile. This is a problem. Why is it a problem? He's not growing. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a new creature. You're alive in Christ. If there's no measurable growth in your life, and it might be slight, I don't want to put a weight on you, you don't need to bear, it might be slight, but there must be a change. It must be growing. It must be increasing through life. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 3, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We are to be increasing in sanctification. It isn't just God's work in us. It's our work as well. And he says, I'm striving for it. The idea of just like straining against a leash. You ever see a dog that's on a leash and he wants to get off? He's just pulling for all he's got. He'll pull so hard with his back legs, his front legs come up off the ground, and he wants to get up. 
That's the idea of what Paul's saying. He says, I want to be so much like Jesus. I got it so bad. I want to be like Him. I'm just pulling for everything I've got. Colossians 3.10, And we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. What's he mean? He means we're being changed. So sanctification begins the moment we trust Christ. It increases all the way through life. And praise God, it does finish. How many... Okay, I got a little test here. If you've known the Lord for more than 10 years, raise your hand. I'm a part of that group. (laughs) More than 20 years, keep your hand up. More than 30 years, keep your hand up. More than 40 years, three of you. You ever wonder, four, sorry, I missed one. You were hiding behind Cameron. (laughs) Do you ever wonder? It seems like it's been so long and there's still so much left to do. Right? And you think, why, why is this taking so long? Why am I still struggling with some of the same sins? Yeah, I see growth in this area, but I still see lacking in this area. Do you know what? Here's the good news. If you forget everything else, hang on to this. The work is going to be finished. What did Paul say in Philippians 1.6? Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will leave it half done. That's not what it says, is it? It says, no, he's going to finish it. This is the point. It's going to be completed at our death. Whether it's at Christ's return, when he comes in power and glory, and we see him coming, um, or at the moment of our death, at that moment, whichever one it is, God's work to sanctify you will be finished. The Bible says in 1 John 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know, this is good, we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. You know what he's saying? If Christ were to come back right now, the work in every single one of us will be finished and done. And we will see Jesus and we won't run for the hills and hide our faces underneath a rock and pray for the mountains to fall on us. We will look forward with great anticipation and we'll see him and the work will be done. But if he doesn't come back and we die before then and we go to heaven, Philippians 3, 20 and 21 uh, says, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In other words, the power that God has to work all the change that he does, he's going to work that power in you and I to finish the work and make us like Christ's. Like like Christ's. We will be like little Christ, just like the Christ, right? At the end of it all, even as we go home to God, the work in us is going to be completed. Uh, Hebrews 12 says this. It talks about our going to heaven. Um, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. In other words, uh, uh, party clothes. Sorry, for lack of a better term. Festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And we have come to God, the judge of all, and to, listen, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Well, what does he mean by that? 
It means that when we come to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, if we die before He comes back, we're going to go to glory. And all those spirits, men and women who have gone on ahead of us, are all going to be there, and they're the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I hope this doesn't happen, bro, but just suppose Justin goes to heaven before I do. I mean, I want to get there before you, right? But in case you get there before me, the cool thing is as we come close to heaven, I look up and I see the Lord and I see Justin, and Justin will be perfect. The work in him will be done. Isn't that a great hope that we have? We think about dear loved ones that have gone on, and some of them we love deeply, and some of them we, they were pretty difficult people to deal with and live with. You know, we're not the easiest people to live with at times, but think about this. When we see them next, they will be perfected and so will we. And they'll be in glory and they'll be just like Jesus. It gives us a desire to carry on, to finish the work, to keep going. But here's something else you have to keep in mind here. The work begins the moment we're saved. It carries on all through life. And it's finished the moment we either die or we're caught up to be with Christ. But sanctification is never completed in this life. Who's ever heard of uh, perfectionism or something like that? Yeah, a couple of you have. Perfectionism means the idea that somehow in this life, before Christ comes and before you die, you can achieve moral perfection. You can actually be sinless just like the Lord Jesus. It's, it's out there, and it's and what it does is actually causes massive depression because those who buy into that idea keep striving and, str- keep striving and, striving, keep striving and keep straining to be like that and they'll never get there. And those who are higher up keep telling them, well, you just keep trying a little harder. Maybe one day you'll get to where I am and I've made it to perfection. No, they haven't. But there are some verses that they use. I want to just give a couple of them to you and then show you how they don't mean what they're taken for. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, the Bible says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. And they put that in a like a one, two, three, and go, okay, so when my spirit is, uh, sorry, when, my, when I'm sanctified completely, and then may Christ sustain me all the way until it's the end of the time. So I achieve perfection at some point, and I keep going till the end like that. That's not what he means, not at all. Uh, Matthew 5, 48, they take this verse and say, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect meaning you must achieve perfection and stay that way through your life. Not going to happen. Okay, That's not what it means. 1 John 3, 6, No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. I've had young people come to me and say, I don't think I'm saved because I keep sinning. I thought, no, that's not what it means. It's the idea of if you, you don't make a practice of sinning, you don't make a habit of sinning, we still fall into sin. But here's what the Bible does say that helps us understand nobody achieves perfection in this life. The Bible says this in 1 Kings 8, 46. There is no one who does not sin. And you are angry with them and so on this rest of the verse. But in 1 Kings 8, 48, 8, 46, the key part there is he says, there is no one who does not sin. In Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20, he says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. In other words, there's no one out there that never, ever sins. We all have that problem. You say, what about Christ? Ah, He's the one exception to the rule. He is the one born without a human father, without a sin nature, and he never sinned. But for all of us, it's never going to happen. 
So sanctification is completed when we die. Now, there's a lot more I can give you on that, but I'm going to just jump ahead because we're running out of time. God and man cooperate in the work of sanctification. Who's ever heard the phrase, let go and let God? Yeah. Is it a right phrase? No. Good. Thank you. Someone went, no, 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 no. It's not. It's actually a very misleading phrase, and it's completely wrong. It isn't let go and let God. It's let go and work with God. They go together, okay? So God and man cooperate together in the whole work of sanctification. God's role in sanctification is a very active role. Uh, one of my favorite verses, if you hang around long enough, you'll hear me quote this uh, at least a couple times. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So he first says, you work out, you work out your salvation. In other words, you strive to be saved from the power of sin, which is sanctification. And the reason why you've got to do that is because God is at work in you. You say, I want to be free. I, don't, I want to be like Christ. I don't want to be like that wretched sinner that got saved 40 years ago. I want to be like Jesus. Why is it you want to be like Jesus? It says, because it is God who works in you both to will, desire, and to work for his good pleasure. So it's God working in us. So that desire that you have, give thanks. God put it there. And then you exercise that desire. So you have a craving in your heart to pray. Pray. You have a craving in your heart to be in the Word of God because you feel like you just run down, you're depleted, you haven't had a solid meal for a while. You go into the Word of God and you feed your heart and your soul in the Word of God. He puts that desire there but he's not going to pick up the Bible and hold your eyes open and run the Bible back and forth so that you read. He says, I'll put the desire there, but you got to work with me. You remember the picture when Jesus, I just thought of it. The picture when Jesus says, come unto me all you are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, and, and so on. It just got the point. You ever watch two oxen, the one's trying to go left, the one's trying to go right? It doesn't work, man. They're all fighting each other and kicking one another. And finally, the stronger one wins out, and the weaker one kind of gets dragged around by its neck. But the stronger one can't go very far without dragging and straining himself because he's dragging along the stubborn little one beside him. And it's exactly the same with us in Christ. We're yoked together. We're to work together. He puts the will in us. We exercise the will in obedience to Christ. And we begin to walk and work alongside of him. And as he's putting the desire there and giving us the things to do. And the cool thing is, where's the strength to do it come from? Well, I just, you know, eat my Wheaties and suck it up. And I kind of just give it all and I'll get there, right? No. <laughs> Thank God, he says, it's God who works in you both to will and to do. In other words, He gives you the will, and the moment you exercise your will in submission to Him and obedience to Him and step out to do what He says, the strength that we need comes right along with it from Christ. It's God working in us. He has an active role. God uses discipline as a loving Father to correct and train us. 
Why is it we spank our kids over and 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 over again? Because we want to train them to do the right things. The little ones just looked at me like, mean daddy. No. We want to train them. Not just sadistic, and if you are, there's a bigger problem. But if you're, as a loving parent, trying to train your child to do the thing that you know that they should do to try and weed out the bad character and put aside this stubborn little sinful fella and, and raise a godly young man, you discipline. God the Father does the very same thing. Why does He discipline us? To teach us and train us to walk with Him. And we can keep fighting. I remember my dad... Um, Poor old dad wore out, I don't know how many wooden spoons and leather belts on, on me, trying to discipline me. And finally, he looked at me one day in absolute frustration. He goes, oh, obedience is so hard for you, isn't it, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, don't laugh. Your dad said it too, right? So it's true. But he got frustrated because he knew how much I struggle with obedience And God the Father is working as a loving Father to discipline us and make us like Christ. He has our absolute best in mind. Not only that, the Bible says in Hebrews 13.20, it says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. Did you get that? Now may the God, and He's a description of who He is, equip you with everything good that you may do His will. God supplies everything you need. You say, I don't have a complete set of commentaries. Trust me, you don't need a complete set of commentaries. It's not wrong to have them, by the way. I'm just going to add that in for emphasis. But you don't need them. You say, you know, I don't have this. I don't have that other thing. Do you have the Word of God? Yes. Do you have the Spirit of God in you? Yes. Congratulations, you got it all. Because if you have this and the Spirit of God in you, then you have everything you need, even if you live alone as a Christian. But you know God is so gracious to us. Look around you. What do you see sitting in all those chairs around you? A bunch of lovely believers. And you know, God in immense, wonderful grace has given us the church of Jesus Christ. He's given us brothers and sisters in Christ. People might think it's strange if, if I walk on the street and they see Justin come the other way and he gives me a big hug and he's wearing all of his biker stuff and I'm in my suit and tie for, for going to church. And they think, Where, what those two guys got in common? doesn't make any sense. But when you look at us inside and you realize we both have Christ and we have Christ in common and we can come alongside one another and build one another up and God uses you to shape me and God uses me to shape you and you with each other dear sister came and visited me this week and and she's a little bit uh, weak not doing so well and she said you know I've got a verse I want to share with you just to encourage you and I thought okay And, and she read the verse and she meant with all of her heart to encourage me and she did And with the first part of the verse, God literally spoke over top of her and he rebuked me for something I'd done, an attitude that I had. And the last part of the reading, God built me up and said, there's more to do, keep going, don't give up. God uses each person in this church. He's equipped us with the the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and brothers and sisters in Christ. 
He's working in us to change us. There's more we could look at that, but I want to move on to the last part, which is our role in sanctification. The work of sanctification is not all God's work. It's also our work of cooperation with God. Uh, Look at uh, Colossians 3. I'm going to fly through all these verses and pick up all the commands. So just let your eyes skim down the page. In verse 1, he says, seek the things above. That's a command. In verse 2, he says, set your minds on things above. It's a command. In verse 5, he says, put to death sexual immorality and so on. That's a command. He also says, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, and so on. It's a command. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. Verse 9 again, put off the old self. Verse 10, put on the new self. Verse 12, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and so on. Verse 13, bear with one another. Forgive one another. Do we need to look at those two again just for a sec? Verse 13, bear with one another. Forgive one another. Put on love. Verse 14. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Verse 16, let the word of Christ well rich within you. And verse 17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Those are all commands. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 is what I count up. 14 commands in 17 verses, and they're all designed. They're things that we need to do to cooperate with the work of God going on us in us to make, to make us more like Christ. It's not let go and let God. It will never be let go and let God. It's let go and work alongside with God, straining and striving as hard as you possibly can to work as He works in you, to work alongside in cooperation. It's the power of the Spirit of God working in us. Praise God that He gave us His Spirit. If He didn't give us His Spirit, we wouldn't have a hope. People say, I don't get those Old Testament people. How come they couldn't do what they were supposed to do? (laughs) Be careful, my friend. If God took the Holy Spirit away from you, you'd discover in a whole very quick second why it is they couldn't do the work that that they were called to do. They didn't have the filling of the Spirit. Only a few scattered men across all those thousands of years of history had the Spirit of God in them. But God has filled every single believer with the Spirit. God is working in us and God is calling us to get alongside, to work with Christ, to submit. Isn't it interesting? All of this life revolves around repentance of sin, faith in God, and submitting to the Lordship of Jesus and just saying, have your will with me. We were looking on uh, Wednesday night at Mary, uh, the mother of the Lord, and her most powerful statement in that whole passage. And she says, Behold, the bondservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word, or your will is the idea there. In other words, she's submitting completely to Him. So our work with and alongside of Christ, it's a cooperative work. There's more we could say about that too, but I want to just finish up with some motives. Why should we do this? Why do this? I mean, it's hard work to be a Christian, right? You can nod because it is. It's hard work. This is not an easy life God called us to. If someone said to you, why don't you just believe in Jesus and your whole life will be so much easier, they were lying. It's not true, and more than likely they don't understand what the Christian life really is all about. It's a hard life. 
So this is what Jesus said. I'm going to give you a bunch of verses just as motives to think about how it is that we cooperate with God's Spirit working in us to make us more like Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I asked the question this morning, and I ask it again tonight. Do you love the Lord more than you love your sin? That's a hard question to answer. Don't jump too quick to say, oh yes, because the Lord will probably test you on it. Do you love me? And Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will love one another. John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Romans, think about that for a sec. I just jumped over that way too quickly. I'm going to back up. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So it's the same idea in reverse. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Do you get the depth of what Jesus just said? You love me and you keep my commandments. I will open to you a world of fellowship with me and the Father that you can't even imagine how sweet it will be. You want a motive to walk with the Lord, a motive to strive to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, to put to death sin, to put off those anger, wrath, malice, all those things, and put on Christ. He says, if you love me, you will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. In other words, I will show you the Father. I will show you love and fellowship that you can't even imagine. Romans 13, verse 5, he says, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Who's got a noisy conscience? Irritatingly noisy, right? Yeah, it's amazing, you know. I'm supposed to be on a diet, and I want, and Braden makes Anzac cookies. You know, I mean, there are some things that are above and beyond what any man was called to bear. And if you've ever eaten one of Braden's Anzac cookies, you know exactly what I'm talking about, because they are the best cookies in the world. And I'm supposed to be on a diet, and I'm making my coffee, right? And I'm stirring the coffee. Where's Hev? In the front room. <laughs> See, between here and the front room, there's about 19 and a half steps. If I take one step every second, I could probably have the cookie gone and wash it down with the coffee before I even get to the front room. We're in business. I go to open the bucket, right? And the little voice of conscience, don't! <laughs> oh, man. Did you know you're not supposed to? But you know what, what Paul is saying? He said, be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience, for the sake of a clear conscience. Paul said somewhere else, I strive or I keep a clear conscience before God. In other words, I make sure that all I do, I, I strive to respond in relation to my conscience. We haven't even looked at this yet, but the conscience and the Spirit of God work together. God gave every one of us a conscience the moment we we're born, and it's informed and trained as we grow up. And then God, as we become a believer, the Spirit of God then empowers and instructs that conscience so that when it speaks, it speaks with the power and the authority and the voice of Scripture and the voice of the Spirit of God to poke us and say, don't you do that. Don't touch those cookies. There's cake in the other cupboard. No, I'm kidding. 
Okay, um, he says also, 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. I was looking at 1 Timothy and Titus, the two Timothys and Titus, just studying about pastoral ministry and reading to feed my own soul about why I'm doing this. And one of the things that came up was love, faith, to teach and preach that they might know the truth that accords with godliness. Those things go together. The reason why we are doing this, the reason why we want to live lives that please God is so that we will love Him more and we will love each other more. You know, it, it's, a, it's a response to the love of God. Think, think about what great love God has poured on us and made us new creatures in Christ. He's making us like the Lord Jesus Christ. And in love for Him, and in worship for Him, we want to be like Jesus. Don't we? Think about that before you answer it. But do we want to be like the Lord Jesus so we can love one another and love Him even more than we already do? Something else here. This is the last one, I promise. I'll fold the paper so I can't see any more verses. There we go. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21, the Bible says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master, ready for every good work. Why is it we strive to put off the old man? Why is it we strive to put off anger and wrath and malice? Why is it when the conscience pokes us that we respond? Because I don't know about you, but I want to be used by the Lord. And I know for a fact that I cannot be effectively used for the Lord while I tolerate and I allow ungodly, unholy, unrighteous things, habits, mindsets, attitudes, to stay in my heart and my mind and to fester and rot away and spread their gangrene all over my system. Because it affects, and the effects of that come out in times when we least expect it and will do much damage. But if we strive to cleanse ourselves from those ungodly things and live lives that are godly and pleasing to the Lord, we will be vessels useful to the Master. Anybody here besides me a woodworker? Peter's done some boat building. He knows what I mean. You ever pick up a chisel that's a little bit dull and you try to do a nice clean cut and it doesn't work because the chisel is dull and it makes a mess and it chops and the wood chatters and splits and then you wind up having to wail on it with a hammer and you miss the chisel and hit your thumb and then all things happen. That vessel, that tool is not useful to the master. It needs to be taken back to the grindstone and the whetstone and honed up so it's sharp and useful to the master. That's what God's striving to do with each one of us. That's why we strive to be like the Lord Jesus, to put off the old man and put on the new man, to walk a little further in this sanctification process. I don't know about you, but you know, just thinking about all of this and thinking about what God has done to make us new creatures in Christ, to give us a new life, an eternal life. And don't make the mistake. Do not make the mistake of thinking you've got to pay it back.
by living a godly life. You'll never pay it back. And God doesn't want you to pay it back. He wants you to be like the Lord Jesus Christ because that will be the most pleasing thing to you. It'll be the most delightful thing to you, the most rejoicing, rejoiceable thing, if you like, to you and useful to God. Does that make sense? All right. Let's close in prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank You again for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank You so much for the fact that You have given us new life in Christ. In Christ, we are new creatures. The old has gone. The new has come. Father, we thank You for the great hope of that offer. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Father, we thank You that it's not just a momentary thing with a change of transaction in heaven, but it is a lifelong process. We're saved from the guilt of sin in that moment. But Father, we thank You that You are working in us to save us from the power of sin over the long haul. And Father, too, I thank You that the work won't be finished in this day. Thank You, O God, that You are reserving the completion of that work to a future day. Father, the day that when faith gives way to sight and we see Jesus, and in that moment, seeing Him as He is, the work in us will be absolutely finished. No longer will sin have its ugly tentacles in us, still striving to exercise influence over us, but it'll be eradicated. Father, I pray again that You would continue to do Your work in us as a church and as individuals. Father, I thank You that You've equipped us with the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. Father, I thank You for that dear lady who came alongside of me and shared a verse of Scripture that You so powerfully used. Father, I pray that You would use each of us like that in each other's lives. Father, I thank You that the work is not finished, but Father, I also thank You that You're using us each of us, to work in each other's life. And Father, I thank You that You have put the desire and the ability and the strength to do those things that You call us to within us. Oh God, You are such a gracious and a kind God. Father, it never ceases to amaze me the grace that You have showed upon us. Lord, we ask You for Your blessing. We give You thanks again, oh God, for a wonderful day together of fellowship and worship and time together. Lord, we ask you for your blessing as we go home. Keep us safe as we drive. And Father, we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.